What's my most favorite thing to do? To talk. Every week I'll do just that. We'll feature national and international movers and shakers, experts in their fields, and all-around interesting people with something more than great to say. No holds barred. We'll tackle every topic imaginable, especially for women over 40. This is Conversations with Sima. Please stay tuned. We're talking today with an author and writer about following a life you love and where it all can take you. Cindy Bailey has written for many magazines, including Glamour, Bay Area Parent, and City Sports Magazine. She's interviewed literary stars for Lit Rave, taught numerous writing workshops, and given readings. Since authoring an Amazon top-selling book, The Fertile Kitchen Cookbook, her fertility story has appeared nationally on CBS and NBC, and she's regularly asked to speak on this very subject. Most recently, a two-year stint traveling the world with her family has resulted in blogging about her adventures at My Little Vagabonds. Her award-winning corporate writing firm has serviced clients such as Warner Brothers, Los Angeles County, and Alexander Ogilvie Public Relations. Her most challenging job, though, is just being a mom to her 10-year-old son and 5-year-old daughter. But she also really, really loves it. So welcome, Cindy. Well, thank you for that introduction. Thank you so much. So tell me a little bit about your journey to your present incarnation. Well, um, I'll say that my last big project was to get rid of all our possessions and travel the world with our two young kids for a couple of years. And what inspired this dramatic life choice at the time is that my husband and I both desperately needed a change. We were living comfortable, secure lives in Silicon Valley, California with a big house, good jobs, and great vacations. So you can't say we were really uh, suffering. But at the same time, we felt heavily burdened by our daily routine and obligations. You know, the work, school, homework, errands, after-school activities, doctor's appointments, and so on. And felt uh, constantly chased by the clock, which I think a lot of people can relate to these days. Everybody's quite busy. So we would collapse in bed at night exhausted and drained, and we felt like we were living someone else's life, not ours. We were active people who loved to travel, who loved to be outdoors, and we weren't doing any of that. Also, we struggled to have our kids, and now that they were finally here, we hardly saw them. So we decided we needed to have much more quality time with them than our schedules would allow. So we made a big change. We saved up for a couple of years and then took off on our great adventure, hitting mostly Southeast Asia, but also Europe. In other words, what we did is trade in our security for what we feel is a much better quality of life. Tell me a little bit more about how does that actually happen in real time? How does it go from being an idea to being a reality? And then how do you actually catapult it forward and live and have the money to live and know where to travel? You're asking me how to take it from uh, an inspiration or an idea that you have to making it a reality, yes. basically? Okay, well, <laughs> well, first of all, um, I think if you want to do anything or make any dramatic change in your life, you have to be highly motivated. We were highly motivated. We were exhausted. We really did not want to be part of this 9 to 5 or 9 to 10 p.m. type of Silicon Valley uh, life. It wasn't for us. So we were highly motivated. And we both, my husband and I, love to travel. We traveled before we were married. We traveled when we were married. We traveled after having children. But we wanted to do something more long-term. We wanted it to be more of a lifestyle choice. 
And so we decided that we would do that, that we would take one or two years off and go travel with our kids. So then there was the decision, and then you have to make the commitment. (laughs) You have to make it real. And one of the ways that we made it real was for me to talk to my clients and say, you know, to kind of let them know that I won't be, be available pretty soon. And my husband, it was a very big deal for him to walk into his very secure, really good job where everyone loves him and tell them that we need a, a sabbatical. And knowing that they weren't able to give him a sabbatical, that he would have to leave his job. And he had the courage to say, I'm quitting <laughs> so we can make this other choice in our life. We saved up for a couple years, as I mentioned, but we also lived off of some stock options that my husband had available through his, uh, his employer. And between the two, we were able to make a budget that worked really great for us. It was actually much cheaper for us to travel around the world with all our expenses included than it was to live day-to-day in Silicon Valley, which has a very high uh, standard of living. So we chose where we wanted to go and what we wanted to do. And I did a ton of research about homeschooling. We pulled the kids out, and we just jumped in, and we did it. And it was a little scary, especially giving up all our possessions. You know, it's a, it was a dramatic change, and we realized how emotionally attached we are to some of those items that we had to let go, for example. But we gained so many lessons from the whole process. We, we learned that we didn't even miss any of the stuff that we gave up. And we also learned as we went on the road. We didn't know what our quote-unquote travel lifestyle uh, would really be, whether to travel slowly or go really fast through all the destinations that we had lined up. We figured that out as we went along, but that was part of the journey is learning uh, more about us and our and our lives and what, what we wanted to do with them. So here you are. You're on the precipice of leaving. And where did you decide to go? How did you decide where to go? Now take me along on your journey. Um, we decided to travel through Southeast Asia first. And then we traveled a little bit through Europe. We, we didn't make it to Africa or South America. We planned those for future trips because we wanted to travel slowly enough to get to know the region and the culture and the people of those places. And we had decided to go to Thailand because we had, originally because we had read about it, and it seemed like a great place for us. It was very outdoorsy. (laughs) All the active sports you can imagine, they have rock climbing, kayaking, scuba diving, everything there. It's beautiful, and there was a reputation for the people being very open and friendly, which is true. So we made our first destination, Thailand. We stayed there for a month. We had a house on the beach. It was it was fantastic. We we actually brought our paddleboard with us, and we were paddleboarding out in the water every day with the kids. So it was really a fantastic experience. And then after that, we spent three months in Vietnam, and that was, I think, the high, one of the highlights of our trip. We explored all of Vietnam, north, south, and the central Vietnam, which are all a little bit different culturally. The food that, that's offered there, it's, it's different from the region, and it was an amazing experience, Vietnam. All the stories, the history, the people, they're very assertive people. They're not shy. They'll come right up to you and want to, you know, have a conversation with you, invite you over for lunch, dinner. We had amazing experiences in Vietnam. And after that, we went to Indonesia, Cambodia, and Malaysia. And we stayed, you know, two weeks in Cambodia, but the other places about a month or so each. And then we returned to Europe. Uh, we spent some time in Switzerland, where my husband is from. And then about two months, I want to say, in different parts of France. We moved around all over south of France, which is wonderful. 
Then we went to Guadeloupe, which is in the Caribbean. It's a French island. And we're focused on the French places because my husband is French-speaking, and we thought it would give myself and my children more opportunity to speak French. And so we hit the Caribbean island on the way back and then back to the U.S., <laughs> which has been uh, interesting <laughs> to come back after being away for so long. Well, and especially coming back during these really tumultuous times. I mean, I, I exactly. can imagine that you must even be wishing for the simplicity of some of the places you lived in. Yes, <laughs> Yeah, It's different. It is quite different. And, you know, we've learned so many things, but one of the impressions about coming back to the U.S. that stood out for us is just, I want to say, the consumerism and the waste that we saw. It was such a contrast to some of the places we've been. And during our travels, we lived on little. We didn't need much to be very, very comfortable because Southeast Asia, of course, is very cheap. And we also traveled very lightly. We only took what was on in our back backpacks. And that feels very freeing. In the U.S., we see so much waste around us, like too much food on the plates that end up in the garbage, for example, or people caught up in, um, I want to say, consumerism, just buying far more than they really need or want. And after our travel experience, it feels wasteful to us. I feel like there's um, nothing wrong with having a comfortable home with a big TV and nice car. But I just want to tell people, please don't get caught up in this, um, you know, classically American thirst for more stuff because experiences with loved ones are much more valuable. Our kids played happily with straws and boxes while we traveled. They didn't need any uh, fancy toys. Anyway, that, that, that's an area where I feel like our view has really shifted after our travels. And I just wanted to share that. Sure. So let's talk about some of the life lessons you learned. Tell me about the experiences that you had as a family and some of what you must have imparted to your kids. Let's see. We learned a lot from our travels. You know, we, of course, hope that our, our kids gain these lessons, too, that they're you know, very important that our kids grow and expand their minds and their openness and their tolerance and their compassion through our travels. One of the first things we learned, which we kind of already knew, but it really helped drive the point through our travels, is that, you know, life is rich and diverse. There is no one right way to live it. There are, in fact, many ways. And life is really, really what you make of it, what you create. So we really got that lesson. You know, we created that lifestyle um, and we had choices. You know, and we went outside the box and we made those choices. So life really is what you make of it. And, and that, that lesson really hit home for us. We got big lessons in, of course, gratitude and having a whole new perspective um, because we know we are incredibly blessed to have the choices we do in our lives. And once you've met people up close who say, struggle to earn a dollar a day to feed their families, it makes it really hard to complain about having to wait in a long line at the grocery store. Know what I mean? Yes, I do. <laughs> You end up not sweating the small stuff. And then, you know, you, that we don't need so much stuff, which I spoke of already, that you just don't need that much stuff to live off of. You need, you need actually very little. Experiences, again, I'll say experiences are far more valuable than stuff. So really, you know, it's important to take advantage and enjoy the time you have while you have it. How about the misconceptions that especially Americans seem to hold that we are so different from them and them would be anyone in the rest of the world? How how did that get shattered and how could you not have, I'm assuming, learned that we're all human at heart and we have much more in common? Is that something you would have concluded? Yes, because I actually, as a child, I grew up traveling. My father also loved to move around, so I already kind of had that sort of world view that we actually, as humans, Human beings have a lot more in common than we do uh, not in common because um, we're all human and we all basically 
want and need the same things. We need love, we need security, we need respect for who we are, etc. And even though our ways of doing things may be different, we use forks and knives here in Vietnam, they use chopsticks. (laughs) And uh, they have different social mores, like in in Vietnam, for example, like uh, actually a lot of uh, Southeast countries and a lot of Latin countries are very big on families. And usually when you invite one family member, you're inviting the entire bunch. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And they stay very close together. And in the U.S., I think the family has gotten a little more fractured. People have become more independent, even though there's those different differences. People want to make friends. They want to make peace. They want to find love. They want the basic needs of, you know, food, water, shelter. They need, they all need that. And I also find, and I I try to impart this on other families who are considering traveling at all, anywhere, to remember that, you know, what you see in the news is not representative of a country. The news scares people. And, you know, the news needs to get the ratings that they, you know, to for, they need people to watch their shows. And it, it sometimes creates a lot of fear around, we shouldn't travel there, look what's happening in that country, you know. And actually, you go to these places and you find that people are wonderful and warm and will invite you in for tea and very opposite experience as uh, your, your perhaps preconceived idea based on what you've seen on the television. I always... Um, recommend that people do their own research, you know, look into, look at, make sure there's not, you know, if you're bringing your kids to these places, make sure you're not going to a place that has, you know, that's war-torn and has political instability, but look beyond those headlines to find the real stories of the real people, because they're, they're there. There's a whole huge, wonderful world out there, and, and people, you know, people love you just for being you, and not necessarily by being a stereotype or a label. All right. <laughs> Let's work backwards. You are so well known for your Fertile Kitchen Cookbook and all of your work around this, which really was pioneering. So let's talk about the reason for creating this, the impact it may have had. And now that you had a couple years under your belt past this, what do you think it's accomplished? Sure. Well, I, I wrote that book with my husband primarily to empower women and couples to make a difference in their own fertility, primarily through nutrition, but also uh, I touch on mind-body work as being important as well. And this came out of our own story in which after trying to get pregnant for over a year, a fertility doctor gave us a 2% chance of conceiving on our own. Of course, (laughs) like most women in that position, I was devastated, but I also decided in that moment that I would do everything in my power to optimize my health and fertility. I did that, (laughs) and four months later, we conceived our son. So this was a huge lesson for me. This experience proved to me that we have more power than we think we do to make a difference in our health and by extension in our lives. And, you know, I believe it had an impact on others as well. They became open to believing that, too. People are taking charge of their own fertility and health and seeing how they can make a difference for themselves outside and in addition to traditional medical avenues. People are eating better, getting healthier, becoming advocates for their own health and well-being. So all of this is really great. Um, And I wanted to add about that that to make a major change, whether it's this or anything else, I I feel like you have to be highly motivated. And I know in general, women who really want a baby and have trouble conceiving are highly motivated. And I want to say that is not a bad thing because when you frame in your mind that giving up is not an option, 
all kinds of doors open to you that never existed before. So that's something that I'd want people to keep in mind. That's not a, that kind of drive is a good thing. It opens up doors. So remind me what year this was published. It was published at the end of 2009, so really 2010. So I want to remind the listener that we're talking about a pioneer here. We're talking about somebody <laughs> who was really on the forefront of helping women, especially women over 40, find fertility, find methods for healthier ways to get fertile and have children. And these were topics that were just emerging on the forefront. I mean, we're talking about eight years That's ago. Right. And actually, I spoke with just a few months ago, I spoke with Dr. Paul Turek of the Turek Clinic in San Francisco. And he mostly manages male infertility. And he had called me to talk about the fact that there's been all this new research that really helped to solidify the fact that a diet, a clean, clean diet, like the one in our book, really does significantly help with optimizing fertility. And this is new research that's just coming out now. But, you know, the book had been written in 2009. And I wrote it because it it worked for me, it helped me, and I felt it really could help others. It's nothing else to help people optimize their own health and fertility and prepare their body for conception, to optimize that. And, you know, if you can go against the odds, and, and take matters into your own hands and do what you can with what you have control over, and then you become pregnant. How cool is that? I mean, that's just amazing. And it made my day every time I got an email from someone who had followed our book and became pregnant, because that's why I wrote it, for those people. But even if you don't conceive, I've had people write to me and tell me, oh, my energy levels are amazing, et cetera, et cetera. And people are, have learned to, you know, take control back of their own health and optimize it for themselves. So I think that's that's all a great, that's all good, right? <laughs> it is all good. And I think we're talking about mind, body, spirit here. And more importantly, there have been so many fast-moving breakthroughs in medical technologies for IVF. And so a fertility diet or a cleaner living or healthier eating can go hand-in-hand hand with these magnificent medical breakthroughs as well correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. I was going to say that some sometimes we were talking about women uh, trying to conceive in their 40s, and some of these women who find themselves trying to conceive in their 40s, it's changing now, but many of them may not have been educated on the fact that it is really hard to get pregnant at that age. It is. Yes. Um, and not, not having been educated on that, it's really... Um, uh, you know, bewildering for some women to learn this. I'm like, well, why didn't anybody tell me this sooner? I would have made made a different choice, perhaps. However, and and what what typically happens then is women will sometimes some women will sometimes turn immediately to IVF, feeling a desperate need to 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 try to conceive as soon or as fast as possible. And this may be the fastest way. And I don't want to tell any woman, you know, not to go get her get an IVF. I mean, I, I've had one myself. Um, but I do believe deep down that when age is a factor, you do have a greater chance conceiving naturally um, by doing the work to clean your body your, and get your mind and your spirit in, in the right place. However, if you do have an IVF, that also helps you maximize your chance of success with IVF by cleaning your body and getting your, your mind and your, 
your spirit in the right place and, for, you know, putting your body in the best possible position for conception, basically. And I, I love that there's been all these uh, advances in, in, on the, uh, in the medical industry on that front. It's great. It gives women and couples opportunities that they wouldn't otherwise have. And that's always a great thing. And now that you've yeah. had this seven, eight years of reflection on all of the whirlwind that you had created, and for good reason, with this book, how do you view the book now and the ensuing years? Well, what I feel our book helped to do is it helped to challenge some people's assumptions about what's possible and, of course, to empower them to live healthier lives. For those like us who suffered greatly with fertility issues and were able to overcome them and conceive and bear a child against the odds, well, I think that is just super cool. <laughs> uh, but even without conception, as I mentioned earlier, people gained renewed health and tremendous energy. I'll also add to that, out of my own struggles came these two beautiful kids, you know, and there isn't a day that goes by that I am not tremendously grateful that they're here. So for any of those out there who used our book, as I mentioned earlier, I think that the thing that they walked away from more than anything else is the power they had to make a difference in their own lives, that they could, they could challenge the assumptions here. I mean, for example, I was given a 2% chance of becoming pregnant. To me, that's saying that's impossible. It's not going to happen for you. And I was able to turn that around. And I think through the book, I was able to demonstrate that others can turn it around too. Mm-hmm. And now there's there's, there's now there's scientific evidence that supports that link even further. So I think it's all good. It is <laughs> I'm very all good. Happy to have done, I'm very happy to have done that. The main reason we wrote the book is to help others in the community out there who had suffered like we had suffered, because it was very painful. It was an anguish journey um, trying to conceive our, our first child, and we, we wanted to try to alleviate some of that anguish Um, that others might feel. And I I felt that we did that. So since we're talking about women over 40, and since you are officially in midlife, tell me a little bit about what you think about your future, and some of what you hope your legacy will be, and also what's your next big adventure? What are you going to take on? (laughs) Oh, my goodness, that's a lot. (laughs) I I don't, honestly, I don't, I haven't thought about a legacy, um, except, you know, to to show our kids by example that you absolutely can make your dreams come true. Um, that's very important to me. I want them to always believe in the power of possibility and the power they have within themselves to make a difference and affect change. And I do feel that that's one of the lessons we got out of some of the work we've done, either through the book in challenging uh, assumptions about fertility and through our travels in challenging, I guess, the status quo on what is the right way to live your life. You should buy a house and a car, do this and this and that. And we turned that around. We questioned it. We turned it around and we created lives for ourselves that fit what we felt was best for us. And I'm hoping that our kids are watching and learning that too, that that's the way to go. So now that you're talking about all this, what do you think your next great adventure is? Well, I'm not sure. We are ready and waiting for our next great adventure. We loved our travel lifestyle so much that we are probably going to make that a longer-term adventure. But we do recognize for both our children and ourselves that we do like to have um, some roots with uh, community attachments for us and for our children. So we'll probably 
pick some place to live and stay there for about six to eight months a year. And then for the rest of that year, we'll travel. We love it. And we think it's a great adventure. Um, and then, we'll, you know, I will probably write a book about our travel adventures and the great lessons we've learned from that and, you know, and how to hopefully to inspire other families to let go of their fears and do the same because it is a one beautiful, great life out there. We only live it once, so we need to live it as fully as possible. I know that you undertake things not only with passion and intent purpose, but you also undertake things with heart. Before we leave the listener with what tip you'd like to leave them with, tell me very briefly, what happens when you end up following your heart? Ah, (laughs) when you follow your heart, wonderful things happen. Because when you're following your heart, you're following your true authentic self and what you feel is best for you and your life. And that may go, that may work in contrast to what you're actually doing in your life. And I always, you know, I always suggest that you question the status quo or question what you're doing in your life in the moment. If it doesn't, if it doesn't align with what your heart is telling you, what I want to tell the listener, uh, what I would love to leave them with is to let them know that, you know, change is hard. But once you journey through it, what awaits you on the other side is beautiful. So follow your heart and go for your dreams. You have just one life to live, as far as we know. So live it well and live it fully. We've been talking with a writer, author, now a world traveler, Cindy Bailey, about a life well-lived, following a life you love, and where it all can take you. Cindy can be found at www.mylittlevagabonds.com and at www.fertilekitchen.com. Thank you so much, Cindy, for joining us. I really hope you have gotten through to the listener. You are a true inspiration. Thank you so much, Sima. I really appreciate this opportunity, and I hope your listeners become inspired and go off and live life fully. I will. I'm Sima Shapiro, your host of For Women Over 40 Conversations with Sima. Thank you so much to the listener for joining us today. And until next time, I hope you take care.